0: Hello and welcome to the 2018 World Cup preview magazine from We Love Betting. I'm the editor Mark O'Hare and I'm delighted to be joined on the line right now by South American football expert Tim Vickery. Tim covers South American football for the likes of the BBC and World Soccer amongst many others. How are you doing Tim?
1: Yeah, very well. And um, looking forward to what is going to be an intriguing World Cup from a South American point of view. You look at some of the teams and uh, it it could well be be a little box of surprise, you know, because even going into the tournament, some of them you're scratching your heads, thinking what's going to come out.
0: Interesting. I mean, are you going over to Russia as well to, to see the teams or will you be watching on from your home in Rio?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm staying in Brazil um, for all of it apart from the last week. The last week, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be in London. That's as, uh, that's as close to Russia as I'm going to get.
0: Great stuff. Okay, Tim, let's start and have a look at Uruguay. They've been drawn in Group A alongside the hosts, Russia, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. It looks like probably the weakest section on paper. Are the South Americans worthy favourites to win this section?
1: I think they're certainly favourites to get through to, uh, to the knockout stage don't tell coach tabares that they've got an easy group and he's a wily old fox tabares and he's he's taken charge of more international games than any other coach this is his second spell in charge of uruguay and it started uh, 12 years ago so uh, this is a fellow who's, who's really really been around the block uh, and he won't hear any talk of uh, of this being an an, an easy group uh, and e- e- egypt obviously with Salah... Uh, Russia with home advantage, Saudi, I think anything that comes out of Saudi will, will, will be a bonus. Um, so it looks as if it's three teams competing for, for the two slots. But Uruguay are very, very confident. Uh, a year ago, uh, Uruguay were in, a, were in a a state of despair because uh, it, uh, qualification was, was starting to look unlikely. Um, they were collecting some terrible results and they were starting to ship goals all over the place. Uh, and even uh, uh, last June, when they went to uh, friendlies, they played Ireland and Italy, they, they were shipping more goals. Um, so going into the last few rounds of World Cup qualification, it was really looking very bad indeed. Suddenly, everything is looking much, much brighter. What's happened is that they've freshened up their team. Now, Uruguay, uh, uh, you know, it's a population of just over 3 million. So uh, it's remarkable that they are as competitive as they are. And what has brought them back is the project that Tabades put in 12 years ago, um, where they use the youth teams so well, especially under 20, um, that their under 20 teams produce a production line of talent for, for the senior side. And they're always looking for technically gifted youngsters at under 20 level. Uh, and uh, they've, they've freshened up their side completely with uh, really a, a, an entirely new midfield based on players, recent graduates from the under 20 side. So they've got... Suarez and Cavani up front, they've got Godin and Jimenez, the, the Atletico Madrid partnership at the back, and Muslera, who's been their goalkeeper for for a long time now. And then suddenly, just in the last few months, they've developed a midfield, which for the first time in, in, in decades, uh, is uh, a Uruguayan midfield that's able to, uh, to enjoy control possession, to protect the back four, and to supply the strikers. And there were times, honestly, during qualification, when they were almost playing nine zero one. You know, it was everyone behind the ball and get it up to Suarez. Now they're playing higher up the field. They're looking very impressive indeed. They're playing very, very nicely. Um, a question mark, I think, w- w- would have to come in: is the World Cup is different from the warm up friendlies, and, and even from from the China Cup that Uruguay won in March when they beat the Czechs and they beat, they beat Wales. Uh, that the pressures are different. Are these youngsters ready to perform in the World Cup? Can they reproduce the form that they, they, they've uh, that they've been showing for for Uruguay in the warm up friendlies and the China Cup? Can they do it under the glare of the World Cup microscope? If they can, you know, Uruguay. I, I chatted to a Uruguayan journalist, one of the leading football journalists recently, and he's talking semi finals. So. Uh, um, the thing with, 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 with Uruguay, to bet on them winning the group, uh, that that may be a little bit rash because uh, so often Uruguay will do what is necessary. And what is necessary to get over the line might not necessarily be the same thing as what is necessary to, to win the group. So I think a very good bet to get out of the group, I'd be just a little bit reluctant to bet on them to, uh, to, 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 to win it. Um, but uh, there'll certainly be a team that, come the knockout stages, other opponents will not want to face.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've, you've mentioned Oscar Tabarez there, and obviously his uh, fantastic process from the youth teams up, up into the senior teams as well. He's getting on a bit now, and am I right in saying he's he's uh, suffering from a, an illness as well? But can you just paint a, a bit of a picture for us as to what he brings to Uruguayan football? Why he's so important as the head, and and yeah, just just explain a little bit more about him and the process that's been put in place twelve years ago.
1: Yeah, and Sabar is uh, is a el maestro. He is a he's a qualified teacher. He was a he was a he was a defender in his playing days. He's also a, a qualified teacher, uh, and he's now getting to the end. And he, he's uh, he, he won't say that he's he's, he's definitely going to step down after the after the World Cup. I think because he's enjoying it so much at the moment. He's enjoying watching his uh, watching his team play. Um, he took Uruguay to the 1990 World Cup. I remember being in the stadium when they beat England at Wembley just, just before that tournament. And then he took over for this second spell in 2006. He he'd had, a, he'd had a couple of years out of the game beforehand when he, he'd just been thinking. Uh, and he'd been thinking about the process of globalization because the, the, the global market in footballers it really opened up in, in the 90s. You, you, you began to see it at the end of the 80s with the, with the, um, a, a move of talent from all over the world to, to Serie A in, in Italy. It was really only in the 90s that it, that it massively opened up. And that obviously had huge consequences for Uruguayan football. Uruguay with such a small population, there's no way that uh, Uruguayan football in a, in a global um, atmosphere, environments, can hold on to its best players. So Tabard is thinking about this and thinking that it was inevitable that Uruguay were going to lose their best play. Uruguayan domestic football was going to lose its best players at, a, at an ever earlier age. What they had to do was use the youth sides to, uh, to, to do two things, really. Firstly, to identify kids who could play globalised football, so not necessarily players for, for, for Uruguayan clubs, but players who could play, play globalised football. Um, youngsters who were, uh, uh, could move quickly or could think quickly or could, uh, uh, were technically good enough to execute quickly. What they were looking for was, was, was speed, speed of movement, speed of thought, speed of execution. Um, so identifying these youngsters, grooming them through the youth ranks. And, and the second thing that they were doing is giving them a crash course in the the, the identity of, of that Uruguayan shirt and its importance and, and how it, it, important it is to, uh, to to represent a country which isn't famous for, for, for many other things. And this process has been huge. Um, the under-20s, they, every two years in the World Under-20 Cup, they do well. But the main result by which this process is judged is not on, on, uh, on, how, well, on the results of the under-20 side. It's how many players they produce for, for senior ranks. And at the moment, that's lots. Uh, and uh, this, this, this change in the midfield, and it started with uh, Valverde, Federico Valverde, who's uh, of Real Madrid on loan at La Coruña. Now, he's an injury doubt. He's really suffered with injuries, so he might not even make the World Cup, but he was the first one to come in and and, uh, and, and be an all-round midfielder um, and then the second one to come in was uh, Rodrigo Bentancur of uh, Juventus who who looks almost the finished article already um, but if you look through the side, there are lots lots and lots of these under 20 graduates and, it, and and with with the side that he's got at the moment, that's the first thing that Tabardes did he uh, he um, got in a midfield just in the last few months just since since kind of september october he began to put in a midfield that can really play now that meant that the, the, the team operating Higher up the field, which means that the space behind the fullbacks then becomes vulnerable, which it wasn't when Uruguay were defending very, very deeply. So the second thing that he did, and uh, th- this was very apparent in the, in the China Cup in, in March, was he changed the fullbacks. He, he got in younger, quicker fullbacks, enabling uh, the, the side to play higher up the field with more defensive security. So th- this is this is very, very Tabarez, very, very methodical, for years. Uh, Tabarez has uh, has been happy as long as his team were competitive. He wasn't looking for any star- style things for him. And when he when he took over in 2006, he his line then was we're going to play at all levels. We're going to play 4-3-3. That that's going to be our base system. It lasted one competitive game. Uh, which was uh, uh, the opener against Peru in the Copa America of 2007 when Peru overran them. And then just after one game, he, he had a rethink. He said, you know, this, this 4-3-3 thing, we're not good enough to do that. So uh, after that... His Uruguay side played from a bunker, and when they they reached the semi-finals of the the World Cup in 2010, big moment for them. So at the moment when they really came back, it's the first time they they got that far in a World Cup since 1970. But I think in every game, I saw Tabata give a lecture about this, and he said in every game the opposition had more possession, but we had more shots. Um, so it, it was a Uruguay that were that were fighting from a bunker, uh, and uh, as time went by. Uh, and and the team perhaps aged a little bit. It almost became a self-parody, the, uh, the, the the fighting from a bunker thing, you know. And sometimes, as I said, you know, it, it almost seemed like they were playing nine zero one. So uh, you know, and and would say, you know, quite often the opposition are better than us, so we have to find our own way of beating them. And I don't care about looking good. All I care about is that we're hard to play against. Um, but. Just in the last few months, with this renewed midfield and this, uh, th- th- this younger, quicker side surrounding the solid core of experience of Godin, Cavani and Suarez, suddenly... Um, they're they're much much easier on the eye, and I think Tabarez is really really enjoying this. Hence the fact that uh, he has been suffering from a from a disease uh, from a um, um, disease. He, he he keeps precisely what it, what it is to 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 himself. Um, it, it's it's harmed his his movements. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago he was he was in a wheelchair. He, he he couldn't he couldn't walk properly. He seems to be a little bit better now, but he he he, would, he, he seems as sharp as ever in mind, and it looks as if. Um, this is the the, the, the period in the, the twelve years in charge. this is the period that he 's most enjoying because he's, uh, he, he now has a team that uh, is is capable perhaps not only of winning but also of, of winning some friends along the way
0: superb. Um, I was going to ask you about Tabarez and the team itself. Uh, is there a clear ideology in, in how they 're going to set up this uh, for the World Cup in terms of formation wise and, and how they 'll look to attack teams and also You've spoken glowingly about the the, the team and, and where they've come from to where they are now. Where are the weaknesses in this team? Where I, might they be lacking if they've got any sort of intentions of you know, of going further than say the quarterfinals?
1: Well, I think the, the the main weakness is the responsibility which is being put on these young players. Um, Bentancourt, uh, are, are they really ready? Arascaeta, who will probably be the creative midfielder, are they really, really ready to, to, uh, to step up? And the base formation, uh, for a while, uh, in, in, in 2010, for example, they used a lot of different formations. They would switch from uh, back three to back four and so on. Uh, the, the, the base formation for years now has been a, a, a 4-4-2, uh, made uh, more solid by the capacity of, of, of Cavani, to, to work so hard and Cavani is almost like a box-to-box centre forward um, and so and Suarez is one of the great centre forwards on the shoulder of the last defender. He's brilliant at uh, at being on the shoulder of, of, of the last defender. So you, you always want to use that. I suppose one 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 possible weakness is uh, is uh, whether whether Suárez will last the entire competition. You know he's he's found he's found ways to to rule himself out of vital stages of the last two. So that that that's uh, but in the likes of, of Suárez, Cavani, Godin, you would think that they were, they are still peak. So Muslera, uh, the goalkeeper, I think sometimes he can be a weak, uh, he can be a weakness. He's very lithe and that athletic, but he, he can he can uh, crumble a little bit. Sometimes he uh, he, he, he can um, portray a certain nervousness. But I, I, so, so I think that the main thing that you you'd hold against them is. Is are the youngsters really, really ready? Uh, the base formation, as, as I said, is is four four two with with Cavani quite happy to uh, to, to work back, um in, into midfield, uh much much happier to to uh, to slot in than he than he has been at, at Paris Saint Germain, I think, you know where uh, where there's been the, the tensions between Cavani and Neymar. Um, with, with Uruguay, uh, and de- describes Cavani as the perfect son in law you know <laughs> you don 't find many strikers of his quality who are pre- just prepared to work as hard as as, as he does and he, he, will, he will slot back into midfield. Uh, and and uh, so he really helps balance the side out. Uh, so I, I suppose one one question mark you you might have is is what happens if uh, if one of the one of the strikers or, or you know, the strikers get injured or if they're burnt out by the European season. And Suarez has looked a little bit uh, weary in the legs recently. And um, there are high hopes of Maxi Gomez of Celta Vigo. He's uh, he, he's he's very untried, but he's uh, he's the new man coming through. The, the other reserve strikers well Stuani ex of ex Middlesbrough has had a terrific season for Hirona in Spain but you don't see him in, in the same quality so and so perhaps that, that, that is a um, that is a weakness I and mean, if if they have to go to the bench then uh, maybe they don't have quite the strength in depth. Of, of other countries but then I think you'd, you'd expect that's inevitable with a country with a population of just over 3 million.
0: Absolutely, I mean Uruguay have been labelled as uh, dark horses uh, something I'd go along with for as well they're around a sort of 33 to 1 mark to win the World Cup uh, in terms of Group A betting they're 11 to 10 favourites and, and 4 to 1 on to qualify. Um, what's your assessment of Uruguay as a whole then? How far do you see this team going?
1: Well uh, a cup competition, um, you, you get a little, little bit of wind in your sails uh, and uh, and Uruguay, no, no doubt about it. This team, if it fires, and if if this is the big if for me, if Bentancourt can really step up and produce, then and Uruguay are are um, are there. They are they are they are in in the fight. I don't think the semi final, and I can't see them winning it. And Godin, you know, he's played three, this is his third World Cup, and he's saying that he's dreaming of of winning it. So the expectations on Uruguay are sudden, suddenly very, very high. You know, a year ago they would would have been a, delighted just to qualify, but suddenly the expectations are, are, are very, very high, which, which could prove a, a burden for certainly the younger members of the side. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so no, I've really, really enjoyed their their, their transformation. Over, over the last few months. Uh, and uh, I, I would like to see it work. I would like to see an attractive Uruguayan side make uh, make, make, make serious progress. Um, and I th- they're capable of doing it. I certainly uh, I think uh, quarter-finals is a, is, is, a, is a fair assessment of what they're capable of.
0: Time to talk about Peru now. They've been drawn in Group C along with France, Australia and Denmark. Quite an interesting group uh, on the surface. Mm. Um, what are you expecting Peru to try and achieve here? Have they set any targets, or are they happy just to just to be at the World Cup?
1: No, they want to get out of the group, uh, and uh, they've they've become very very confident that they can get out get out of the uh, of the group. And um, Peru, uh, this is their first, this, this is huge for the country. Peru qualifying it's their first World Cup since 1982. Um, they hadn't in the previous 20 years, and um, they missed out on 1998 on goal difference, and after that, that they they hadn't come anywhere near qualifying for a World Cup and it looked for at least half of the qualification campaign that they weren't going to come anywhere near this one they got a stroke of fortune huge stroke of fortune they lost a qualifying game away to Bolivia Um, but just for the last 10 minutes Bolivia brought on a sub who was ruled to be ineligible and, uh, and FIFA awarded the points Instead of losing three 0 Peru uh, losing two 0 Peru won that one three 0 That was actually their first away victory in World Cup qualification since two thousand four. So uh, it, it came after after <laughs> after more than twelve years, and it came at a stroke of a pen. So that was a huge stroke of luck. And without those points and goals, Peru wouldn't have qualified. But subsequently, they've proved themselves worthy of of that good fortune. Um, they've put together a terrific little run, um, and if they avoid defeat in their warm-up game against Scotland at the end of May at home. Um, they, and they purposely, purposely picked Scotland because uh, the, the win over Scotland in the 1978 World Cup is one of the high points of the Peruvian national team. If they avoid defeating that game, they will create a new record for uh, longest unbeaten run by a Peruvian national team. So um, they, they, they've moved in the right direction. The, the coach, Ricardo Gareca, w- w- I think the, the best thing that he's brought to them is, is, is a sense of calm. Um, with the years of failure, the atmosphere in, in, in Peru became became very toxic. Uh, and it was almost a kind of self-hatred. Uh, and, and what Gareca did is, is he identified a, a promising group of young players and he stuck with them while the bad results were still going in. He stuck with them and he showed faith in them. And uh, he, he did it for long enough that uh, he's now reaping the reward of the choices that he made. Two and three years ago, um, so he's brought admirable calm to the uh, to, to proceedings, and confidence is 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 really flying now, um, especially since uh, those friendlies in March. Uh, it's it, it, some time um, uh, that Peru hadn't faced European opposition, and then in in March in the United States they played Croatia and Iceland, and they beat them both. And, and those results were such a huge boost to, to, to confidence, even achieved in the absence of perhaps their, their one genuine world-class player. Their captain, their centre-forward, their all-time top scorer, Paulo Guerrero, who is uh, still – his presence in the World Cup is still unsure. and He, he failed a, a, a drug test at the end of last year. Um, he was banned for six months by FIFA that ban has now, has now run out, Just it ran out at the start of May, but the World Anti-Doping Agency have appealed for the ban to, to, to be extended for two years, which would effectively end his career, I think. And we're still waiting for a final verdict, so that, 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 that's a little bit of uncertainty still still hanging on Peru. But anyway, even without him, Peru managed to, to, to uh, um, go through the last rounds of qualification beat um, Croatia and and Iceland and so their confidence is absolutely sky high now Uh, and uh, those two games against European opposition were just so important for for morale and very important given the fact that so much of Peru's campaign rests on the first game which is against Denmark because the order of the games is a little bit awkward I think for them. They got France second up uh, and uh, I think anything that they get from France will be a bonus so uh, if they lose to Denmark in the first game, they are really, really up against it. With Australia in theory the the, the most accessible game coming up third so there 's so much pressure on that that first game and my my big worry about Peru, who as i say they 're very very confident i mean uh, um the Peru's probably the greatest ever player could be us the architect of that that win against Scotland in seventy eight uh, and he said recently, he said, uh, you know, after the, the games against uh, uh, Croatia and Iceland, he said, you know, we're passing the ball like Barcelona now, you know, and he's, he's, he's convinced that they're, they're, they're going to get through to, to the next round. But my big fear, we've seen this from uh, some Latin American sides recently, Latin American sides going to either their first World Cup or the first World Cup in, 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 in generations, such as uh, Ecuador in 2002 and Honduras in 2010 that um, the, the, the competition has almost passed them by. You know, the, pressure, the pressures of playing in the World Cup, and the pressures are huge. And this is, it's massive for Peru. And Peru actually ran out of Panini stickers. It, the, the fever <laughs> that there was you know, just to be part of the event. Um, so Peru have gone mad for this. So the, the psychological pressure on the players is absolutely massive with Ecuador in 2002 or Honduras in 2010. And what you saw is uh, it all seemed to happen too quickly. And those teams that only produced their best football in the third game, by which time it was too late. So that would be my fear about Peru. My fear that psychologically um, they, they might not be strong enough to deal with the pressure. And if they lose against Denmark in the first game, I think then they they have real problems. Um, So uh, I'm a little bit worried about them, although I have to say less worried than I was a few months ago because uh, um, the the, the confidence with which they're playing is uh, the the change in in the side. Um, Between um, 2004 and uh, and, and, uh, 2016, if you look at their record away from home in World Cup qualification, it's an absolute nightmare. They hardly drew any games. The, you know, the, the, almost all of their away games were lost and, and so often they just collapsed you know, that, 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 the, the, from the point that the first goal went in, you know, forget about it uh, and uh, the, I think a lot of that was, was, was mental and with the confidence that they have now, they're so, much, they're so mentally stronger but will they be able, be able to produce that under the pressures of, uh, of the World Cup especially the first match against Denmark will it all prove too much for them that, that, that's my fear for them
0: well, fantastic. I mean, you've pretty much answered two of my questions here. One about the, the coach, Guerreca, and what he's done to transform things. And secondly, the weaknesses uh, in the team. But if we look at sort of Peru from a tactical perspective, uh, where can we expect them to hurt teams? Where are they most likely to, to put fear into the opposition? So if Denmark are looking at that first game, where are they going to be looking and going, right, that's where Peru are very strong? Obviously, Guerrero's availability is, is key here. But who else should we look, at, look out for and, and where are their strengths?
1: Well, uh, Farfan Jefferson Farfan, who's an old schoolmate of of Guerrero's, has made a triumphant return to uh, to the, to the national team, uh, and and he's a very versatile um, player, and he can play anywhere. He can play up front, or he can play anywhere uh, across the line. And the the base formation for for Peru is. Is four two three one. That's that, that's Gareca's base formation, and he he could and uh, uh, I think this is certainly something that he'll, he'll be looking at in the game against France. He could reinforce midfield with an extra with an extra man, uh, so something like a four three two one. It's something that they did away to Argentina and away to Messi, and and uh, they, they did that one very well. Um, so that that's a possibility that, that they'll be looking at, um, but the base formation is, is is four two three one. Guerrero, if he plays and if he's hundred percent fit, uh, is a centre forward who is magnificent with the ball uh, back to goal. So you can play up to him. He's he is quick despite his age. He's 34 now. He's quick enough to be played behind the line. Um, but you can play up, up to him, back to goal, in front of the defensive line. He's brilliant at holding the ball back to goal and, and laying off passes and bringing others into the game. So if if they lose him or if he's not 100%, then they lose some of that capacity and they, they become more of a front to goal team. Um, but Farfan is is uh, explosive. Uh, probably the the breakout hero um, of the uh, of the. Qualification campaign, a little left-footed midfielder who plays in Denmark, Edison Flores, who's very versatile and and uh, he can play in either of the midfield lines, uh, and 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 can really give it a crack with with that left foot, which you wouldn't look, you wouldn't you'd be very surprised for for a man of his of his frame, and uh, so he he's a busy little player uh, and one who can pop up as, a, as an element of surprise in the in the penalty area. But for me, the most important player in the side is. Uh, the holding midfielder. Uh, And I think he will be absolutely vital for Peru. Uh, Tapia, Renato Tapia. Uh, He made his first game, his debut was in Gareca's first game in charge. So that's a player who Garekas clearly identified. Uh, and, and Tapia is uh, a, a big barrier in the middle of the f- uh, midfield. But he's, he's also uh, very, uh, very well balanced, very neat on his feet. So he, I think, will be an absolute key man in balancing out the side. Um, and a worry that I have for them is defending in the air. They, they came through the playoff against New Zealand, uh, and uh, the New Zealand centre forward, the Premier League player, Chris Wood, was not fully fit. He could only come off the bench in both of those two games. At the point when he came on, it changed the game. Cause Peru were having real problems in coping with him. Uh, and, and so uh, um, I'm, I'm sure that opposing coaches have had a look at that and thinking that they can have, they can have some joy against Peru. Uh, if, if you can pin Peru back in, your, in, in their own penalty area, uh, and you, you can have some joy against them. Now, this is something that uh, Peru have been working on, and it, this, for me, I think was the most impressive thing of, of their displays, against especially against Croatia and also against Iceland. Um, Garek had a coach saying, look, against these European sides, we we, we don't want to defend too deep, because if if you do that, they will bring their centre-backs right up into your half of the field, and you can't get out. You are trapped in your own half. And that's clearly a problem for Peru, given their, their lack of aptitude for defending in the air. So that this, for me, is the key thing to look at in the first game against Denmark. Uh, because Angareca will be trying to get them up out of their own penalty area. Uh, under pressure, sometimes players have a, have, a, have a tendency just to drop deep and you know, they think that, that that's the secure zone. Um, so th- this, for me, is, is the big test. Now, that, for me, is what I'm going to be looking at in the game against Denmark. Are Peru confident enough to come up a little bit and uh, avoid being trapped in, inside their own penalty area?
0: OK, so that opening game is, is obviously huge for Peru, very key to how they progress in this tournament. Um, if we're looking at the betting... Understandably, France are uh, three to one favourites or three to one on favourites to to win the group. Denmark six to one, Peru twenty three to two, and Australia thirty three to one. All best prices there to qualify. Peru are nine to four. Uh, the bookies suggest they're, they're going to just miss out in third place here. Um, Tim, uh, what's your assessment of, of Peru's chances?
1: I would probably agree with the bookies on that one. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, uh, but that game against Denmark, Denmark worries me a little bit. Uh, if if the order of the games were, were, were different. And even if, if if they had if they had France first. You can have a bad first night. It's not a problem. They're not expecting you know, anything they pick up against France would be, be a bonus. If they had Australia first, then maybe they could be under par and still get away with the three points. But the Denmark first and the order of the games is a, li- is a little bit unkind. So uh, I'm a little bit worried for them.
0: Let's talk about Argentina. They're in Group D with Nigeria, Iceland and Croatia. A very interesting group, this, with all four sides probably having designs on progression. Uh, so I guess my first question to you, Tim, is... Um, are Messi and co vulnerable favourites here in Group D?
1: Yes, oh, aren't they just? Uh, and uh, we are we are talking here in in the middle of May um, before Argentina have announced their uh, their thirty five. And at this point, we still don't know what Argentina are, uh, which which makes them absolutely fascinating. And this is this is thunderbird. Anything could happen in the next hour. Uh, there is you know that they they can count on the best player in the world. Uh, and uh, with with, a, with an interesting uh, supporting cast up front, and and for the likes of Messi, Aguero, Di Maria, this is this is last chance saloon at their peak years if they want to win the World Cup. So you know you you, you, you cling on to the hope that if uh, if they fire together, then perhaps Argentina could do something. But then you look at the problems, you look at the the lack of defensive resources, you look at the the confusion of ideas at the moment. Uh, and you look at the, the, the group of opponents and you think, well, it, this could end early for, for Argentina. So uh, I, I think, for me, they're the, the most the most fascinating team of all the 32, because you just don't know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, international football is obviously completely different to, to club size. And you look at the coaches in the World Cup, and I'd say Jorge Sampioli is is arguably the best coach in the competition. But his system <laughs> also doesn't appear to suit the players at his disposal. So where are we looking at them tactically how are they going to approach this is sampioli literally going to just continue with his own ideas and do you think the the couple of weeks beforehand with the group will, will get the best out of them in particular messi as well because i mean that's always been the the issue in over reliance on messi at international level
1: yeah, and I've heard uh, this thing about you know Sampo is probably the best coach in the World Cup. I've heard this a few times, but I haven't heard anyone in Argentina saying it. Uh, <laughs> okay. they're not big on him at all. Remember, he hasn't done anything in Argentina. His career has, has been outside Argentina. So, no, so at the moment, there's a lot of people in Argentina sitting back saying, "Well, what have you done for us?" Uh, so and he he has uh, uh, you you might see him in that light. The Argentine population, as yet, really, really doesn't. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's quite, yeah and there 's a very hostile atmosphere towards him, and um, because the results have been, have been absolutely disastrous uh, and then there always was and this was clear right from the point where, where he was appointed um, there always was this uh, this question mark you know Sampaoli, his teams tend to play one way there are, there are variations on it, but the the theme is that we want to play in your half of the field, we want to relentlessly press. Uh, we want to create two against one situations down the flanks uh, and that we will take the risk of uh, of, of the space behind us um, with the counter-attack. And if you look at the, the the current defensive resources that Argentina have and, and you think, well, do, do they have enough defensive pace in order to do it? Uh, and so far the answer has been an absolutely resounding no. And the results have been, just, and, and the way that they've, they've defended has been, just been disastrous. And you, you can see problems piling up. Uh, and he, he tried um, with a back three, which on a absolutely collapsed last November uh, against Nigeria, who they soon after discovered they will yet again be facing in, in the group stages of a World Cup. And you could see in that performance, you could see three problems. And the midfield didn't press, exposing the back three. The back three without, without pace just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped, opening up huge space. And because he didn't really have fullbacks, he was using wingers in the wing-back roles, and they were being expected to to run back 80 meters and defend at the end of it. So the whole thing was a disaster. So what he did then was switch to a back four, and entirely predictably, that collapsed against Spain. The back four with a with a, with a high line, um, Full-backs who uh, are, are I don't really think at the level. Not a lot. Of, not again. Not a lot of defensive pace. So his back four didn't really work either. So at this at this moment, you know, you, you suspect. Then he's going to go with a back four, but we don't know. Uh, and Sam Paoli, uh his uh, what's coming up now for him as a coach is the biggest test of, of his coaching abilities because in in the time available, he has to whip this side into into some kind of coherent shape. Um, remember when when he took over Chile, uh, which is really where he made his name to an inter- to an inter- with an international audience. He took over a structure, and, and he, he's the first to admit this. That was already thoroughly in place um, as a result of his his idol, Marcelo Bielsa. And and Sampoli will say Bielsa Bielsa did the hard work. I just came in and refined it a little bit. Uh, And uh, his Chile side had some defensive pace, had a goalkeeper who could play with his feet uh, and uh, could could come up and and take charge 30 metres from goal. Um, you look at Argentina and you just don't see the same resources. So what's going to happen now? What's going to happen in the time that Argentina have to train? And Sampoli, they've, they've got a fixture um, that they're going to uh, after the send-off in from Argentina. They're going to Barcelona uh, and uh, they play a warm-up fixture. They go to Israel, Tel Aviv, and play Isra- Israel. And Sampoli is, is open about the fact that he doesn't want to play the game. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to go to this game because it, what this means is it, it's less time on the, tra- on the training ground. And every minute that he spends on the training ground is going to be absolutely vital. At this moment in time, we don't know how his team is going to line up. I suspect that uh, Messi, and, and Sampaoli is saying that uh, this team is more Messi's team than it is mine. Now, that, that, that's a simple admission of fact. Um, really, I think what has happened with Argentina in, in, in recent times uh, is exposing the the, the the lie, if you like, that Messi doesn't perform for Argentina. He perf- he's performing heroics for Argentina. Uh, if you, some of the football that they've played has been very, very poor. They wouldn't have gone anywhere near the World Cup without him. Uh, I've seldom seen a team as dependent on one player as Argentina have become on Lionel Messi. Now, that, I think, means that Messi has become probably a selector as well. Um, Paulo, uh, he, he made a recent trip to Europe to sit down and meet with his players, and the first one I think was, was Messi. Uh, and uh, obviously, team selection comes into it. You know, you're asking Messi what kind of, 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 of lineup uh, will get the best out of you. Now, we don't know the answers to, the, to, to those questions yet, uh, and that, that makes Argentina so fascinating. You know, what's the team going to be? How good. Can Sampaoli be at setting up a team that may have to be different from the kind of team that he would ideally like to like, like, like to send out? And all of these are, as it stands, unknown. So, uh, that, 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 you know, Argentina, it, it, it could surprise us all and go wonderfully right. It could be a disaster, and that means you're not going to be able to take your eye off Argentina in this World Cup.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've, you've pretty much answered two of my questions in one there, but I'm just going to cover a, a couple of the sort of parts to them because uh, I've been hearing you sort of bemoan Argentina's lack of defensive pace for years, and um, mm. so it'll be interesting to see how they line up defensively, but in midfield. To me, it doesn't particularly excite, and um, I'm just wondering from a sort of if you're trying to find positives in this Argentina team. Obviously, Messi is he pretty much carried them to the World Cup final four years ago, as you say. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have qualified without him. But where are the other strengths? Where are the other positives to take from this team? Yeah.
1: Well, the the biggest strength I would hope is that uh, Messi may well be much much fresher than he's been for recent tournaments. Know, with the Spanish league in the bag uh, in advance, and with for the third year in a row, Barcelona not not making it to the to the, the semi finals of the Champions League, uh, we could see a much fresher Messi than we saw, certainly in the last World Cup when uh, he was he was really running on empty uh, the, the The Aguero situation is interesting I, I think if if Messi is allowed to choose his center forward, he will go with aguero the the, the two of them work well together but we haven't seen it in tournaments and agüero is another one only two two players have scored more goals for argentina than agüero um, but he hasn't done it in tournaments and he usually really looks very very weary in tournaments he, look, he looks like he's running on empty so this, this little uh, this, this layoff he's he's had with uh, this little knee surgery it may sink him again uh, although the word at the moment coming out of the camp is that uh, he's looking very he's, he's, he's looking good uh, so if, if we get Messi and Aguero firing together with Di Maria to open up the pitch, there is, th- there is a possibility. Um, a lot, I think, rests on, on Banerga. Banerga will be the link man and Banerga can, can blow very hot and cold. Uh, they, the Argentina need him to, to blow hot for the entire tournament because he, he's the man who's going to be giving the ball to Messi in, uh, in, in, in forward positions. Um, but a- apart from that, you can't really see a breakout star from, from Argentina. And Argentina is the reverse of what we've been talking about with, with Uruguay in terms of the under-20 teams. And between 1995 and 2007, Argentina were the undisputed world masters at, at under-20 level. Uh, and, and since then, their under-20 teams have been awful. Uh, and uh, that's filtered through to, to, to the, the senior side now. Um, and it's been filtering through for a while, I think. Uh, I, don't, I don't really think Argentina have, have been a have been a, a, a really solid, coherent team for a decade. I think that they've been relying on on the individual flashes of of brilliance from 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 the stars, uh, and this looks like a look, looks like a low point. So can Messi pull them higher from from this low point in his really, I think realistically, his last chance to win the World Cup? What, what, what a theme there we have. What, what, what a great World Cup story. What a reason to, to follow the action from Russia.
0: Absolutely. It's going to be fascinating to see how this team fare. They are fifth favourites to win the competition outright. Blimey. Yeah, Blimey. I know. It's, it's surprising. You're not,
1: you're, not get, you're not getting any of my money. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not taking that bet. No. I mean, if, if, the odds were, if the odds were really good, mm. it would be worth taking just in case. Well, they're but nine as one. F- Fifth favourites, I think, overvalues them.
0: Best price eleven to one. Uh, mainly nine to one across the board, really. But if we're looking to
1: not group... having it, I'm not having it. <laughs> what about? <laughs> Can I take my money any... in my pocket? You can't have it.
0: <laughs> Moving into, into Group G, then is there anything here that appeals to you? I mean, they're eleven to eight on to win the group, which again seems quite short. Croatia fourteen to five. Nigeria eleven to one. Iceland sixteen to one. Uh, is there anything here, even Argentina, not to qualify potentially? Is that yeah. is that a realistic? Yeah,
1: I, I, I would take that. I would take that bet if you get good odds on that. I would I would take that bet, and I, I don't think it, it's going to happen. I think that, that they'll, they'll just have enough to to get out of the group. Although that, that that's by no means. I mean, Croatia are dangerous. Uh, Nigeria are very dangerous, and Argentina know all about that. Over, over after the meeting in in in, uh, in November. And even Iceland, um, if you if you push me against the wall, I think Argentina will be able to get out get out of the group. But I'd be very interested to see the odds in them not getting out because I think that is a possibility. Uh, as I say, so much depends on 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 what Sampioli is able to do with this uh, with, with this team over over the, over the next month. It is the biggest test that that he's faced as a coach, and if he passes this, then. I'll take my hat off and I'll agree with this, this European stuff that you know he's, he's the best coach of all of the 32 there. But I'm, I'm not going along with it so far.
0: Right, let's talk about Brazil. They've been drawn in Group E along with Costa Rica, Switzerland and Serbia. It could have been a lot worse for the Seleçao, uh, who appear to be in fabulous shape after Chichí chi revitalised this team. Uh, have the public forgiven them for 2014? And what's the feeling back home coming into this tournament.
1: But they're amongst the favourites. Uh, and uh, all right, there's, there's a huge, huge stain on the carpet because of what happened in, in, in 2014. And that stain is, is not going to come out for a while. But what a difference a coach makes. And, and they, were, they were really struggling to qualify after a third of the, the qualification campaign under Dunga, who was just a bizarre choice. They, they, they were eliminated in the in group phase of, uh, of the 2016 uh, uh, Centenary Copper America which was the biggest blessing in disguise they could have had because that got Dunga out, Chi-Chi in, and, and uh, from that point, absolutely plain sailing. And they, they they transformed what had been and what was shaping up to be a, a very difficult qualification campaign with real fears that they weren't going to make it. They transformed that into, a, a, what was it, um, 10, 10 wins, 2 draws, uh, 33 goals scored, 2 conceded, something like that. Transformed it into an absolute, you know, just a cakewalk. Um, hence, you know, the, the idea that that is, is the best coach out there. Well, you know, Chichí has won won the World Club Cup with Corinthians, and uh, and look what he's just done with with, with Brazil. So, uh, and he might have, have something to say about that, and he might have a little bit more to say about it after the World Cup.
0: Okay, so what what's he actually done then? Junger was, as you say, a bizarre choice. Football under him was was dull. It was dour. They just didn't perform at all under him. So what's changed? What's he brought to this team? How has he brought the magic back to Brazil?
1: Well, if you look, actually look at the personnel, not a great deal. Uh, and the, the, the team that uh, that he sent out for for his first game, which is still more or less his team, there were only really two changes in terms of personnel from what had gone before. One was uh, he took a gamble on centre-forward. Centre-forward's been a problem for, for uh, position for Brazil for a while. He took a gamble on, on what was then a, a young untried teenager called Gabriel Jesus, and he got an immediate return on that. Uh, and uh, the other thing that he did was uh, he recalled an old favourite of his um, to just, just screams of criticism, Paulinho, um, the former Tottenham midfielder. And that's been, a, that's been an unbelievable success as well because he knows what Paulinho can do, he knows what Paulinho can't do. And what he can do is get, in, get into the box, time they run well and score goals. Uh, so the, the main thing that, he, that he's done has, has not been personnel. It's been a tactical approach. Uh, Chi is, on uh, Brazilian football, I think it, it, it's really got, it, got itself stuck. And there have been such changes in, in top-class European football over the last 10, 15 years. And, and Brazilian football hasn't really followed that. But Chichi has. Uh, he, he took time off uh, to, to, to come to Europe and really do it, have an in-depth study. Of 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 it. I and mean, some Brazilian coaches come to Europe and all they want to do is take selfies with with, with Guardiola and Ancelotti. With Chichí, it's different. You know, let's sit, let's study. And there's a phrase that he he used towards the end of the qualification campaign that for me sums it up. He said, "I've learned how to learn." Uh, and Chichí was a coach who um, originally made his name at the turn of the century as a three-five-two coach. That's all he could do. Uh, and and as time has gone on, he's added and added and added and added. Uh, and uh, the main thing that he's done with this Brazil side, I think he's brought the defensive line higher. The defensive lines in Brazil they tend to operate very, very deep. Um, so anything behind the, the, the centre backs is, is the goalkeepers. Um, he's brought the line up much, much higher. So he's got them more compact. Now he did this with with the he had. Two very successful spells with Corinthians. In, in the first of those successful spells ended up beating Chelsea in the, the final of the World Club Cup in 2012. And at that point, he worked out how to stay compact um, along European lines, how to, team, how to, to keep the, key, the, the team compact and solid. And difficult to play through and that was a team of 1-0 wins uh, um, the, the, the narrow wins very very solid then he took he took more time off more study and when he came back to Corinthians for another spell he'd worked out the virtues of, of keeping that team compact had attacking virtues as well because if the team is compact then the man on the ball has many more options to give a pass uh, so, he, he, he worked out how to create numerical superiority close to goal in areas where you can, you can do damage to the opposition. And that is what he's brought to, to, to the national team. So, it, it's, it's a much more compact team and as a result of being compact, they're much better, they pass the team much, much better than a lot of uh, recent Brazilian sides. Who have tended to be very dependent on the counter attack. This team has the counter attack, but it has a lot, lot more as well, and they can really make the ball fly. Uh, and uh, they 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 go into the World Cup, I think, with a justifiable place uh, amongst uh, amongst the favourites. And th- they've got a population behind them. Um, they've got uh, a l- they've got um, some some really big name stars put into a collective context and, uh, and firing together uh, and I think their optimism going into the World Cup is well justified
0: OK, well I'm going to flip things around then and, and try and pick some holes in this team because obviously the injury to Neymar is, is a concern. Is he, is he as critical to this Brazilian team as he perhaps was four years ago? And also I heard suggestions that Dani Alves was going to captain the team. Obviously he's sadly been ruled out of the competition now as well. If both of those players are missing, will that affect Brazil?
1: Well, two very interesting cases. Uh, Neymar, uh, I, th- I don't think his fitness is going to be a problem. The team is is nowhere near as dependent on him as it was four years ago. And they've just proved this to themselves, you know, with the recent friendly wins over Russia uh, and, and also against Germany, although it was a very understrength German, German side, but without him. Uh, he is their most talented player. Uh, and, and one of the challenges that Chichi has, I think, is, is dealing with him, conciliating his individual desire to shine with the collective need of the team. Now, that can go wrong. Uh, it went wrong, for example, in the friendly uh, at Wembley against England in November. There was a 0 0 draw. Uh, Neymar had a very poor game. I think he, he was trying, because it was Wembley, which is a big, big thing to the South Americans, he was trying to do too much. Uh, and uh, he, was, he, was, uh, show, he was shooting from 40 yards and so on, and you could see his teammates getting a little bit fed up with him. So um, that, that, that's one possible problem with, with, with Neymar. Uh, he, he can combine beautifully. He's, he's got a sweet thing going with Gabriel Jesus, but will he want to do too much? And the, this thing of, of, of being uh, chosen as the world's best player, which, given what happened in the Champions League, only rests on what he does in the World Cup. Will this harm Brazil? Now, that is, that is a possible problem. Another possible problem with Neymar is, is his petulance and six yellow cards in, in 14 World Cup qualifiers. Uh, so if, if, you, if you put that through to the World Cup, that, that, that means missing out on a, on a game in the knockout phase. Um, but that, that petulance can... And, and He will go through times when he seems more concerned with uh, drawing fouls uh, then, th- then we're doing something productive. Uh, and that can really raise the emotional temperature of the game because the, the, the opponents really don't like it. And he gets caught up in that, that raised emotional temperature of the game and, and then he can lose control. So can he be kept under control? Now this links into your second point. Uh, Brazil don't have a captain. The captain in the, in the last World Cup was Thiago Silva who uh, obviously wasn't captaincy material. After it was Neymar, Dunga made Neymar the captain who um, really didn't want it. He said, look, I don't want to do this anymore. If you look at the team, there's not an obvious captain. So what Chi-Chi has been doing has been revolving the captaincy. It's been a different captain for every game. Now, the, the, the plan has always been to do that in the World Cup, to keep a revolving captain in the World Cup. Now, the virtue of this has been that it's, it's been a way of, uh, of uh, sharing re- responsibility around the team. It's also been a way of making players feel important. The downside is that you don't have... Uh, a set leadership structure on the field, uh, and and sometimes Neymar needs this. You know, if if uh, if he's going through one of those petulant uh, phases in a game, you need. And as Carlos Alberto in, in 1970, and he was ferocious. You know, you're scared of him. You know, uh, and he, he Pele was his great mate, but Carlos Alberto wasn't afraid to go up to Pele and say, you know, pull your finger out. You know, you you, you you're, not, you're not contributing. Do something, uh, and, uh, and perhaps Brazil lack that leadership structure. That's the downside of not having a fixed captain in, in the team. Daniel Alves has been one of the players, I think the player who's most been captain under, under this revolving captaincy thing of, of, of Chichí, uh, and uh, is, is an important leader in the group and will very, very definitely be missed for that reason. Whether he'll be missed on the, on the, on the pitch, I think, is, is open to two interpretations. He's a magnificent attacking right back, um, a, a wonderful, wonderful player. However, if you look at Brazil, if you want to pick holes in Brazil, um, which seems to be your intention, um, they've got the, 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 the two attacking fullbacks, Daniel Alves and Marcelo, both of whom are vulnerable defensively. And not only because they leave space behind them when they go forward. And that—that's uh, if you're going to have attacking fullbacks, they can't be in two places at once. You know, you want them to leave spaces behind. You know, so you want them to bump, forward, and then it, then it's up to the team to, uh, to organize itself so that there's a holding midfielder to plug the gap or whatever. But also, and they're not great natural defenders. You can get at him. And Daniel Alves is a bit of a gambler. He'll, he'll, he'll hurl himself in on the wrong side. You can get behind him. Marcelo defensively is very loose. So you're thinking of, of, you know, say knockout stages, Brazil playing a Spain or a Germany. You know, a team, um, the European teams at the moment, the best European teams, hold possession much, much better than the the best South American teams. So one of those teams that's very good at holding control possession and can strike in that space behind the fullbacks. Now, I wonder with the loss of Daniel Alves, which is a bad loss, and Brazil don't have a, a recognised substitute. It was always, you know, in the build-up, it's always, you know, who on earth is going to be the reserve right back? Um, not that they're going to play. Now, they're going to play. They're going to be in the first team. Who is it going to be? Uh, but the, the little thing going around in my head is, maybe Chichi can do something here where he can help Balance out his team a little bit more, um, because if he puts in a right back there and gives him a much more defensive brief, now I don't want you to bomb forward all the time. You can, you can do it three or four times a game, but that's it. Now that helps free Marcelo on the other flank because uh, that means that your holding midfielder has only one side to think about and not two sides. It might balance balance Brazil out just a little bit even though it, 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 he's, a, he's a massive loss, Daniel Alves, and a huge loss to the way that Brazil play, in in, in the big, decisive knockout games, it maybe just might balance them out a little bit. I mean, the precedent here is 1970, when uh, they had a very talented uh, left-back, Marco Antonio, young, uh, and they, they didn't think psychologically he was ready. So just in the last few days before, before the tournament, he lost his place. And in came Everaldo, who uh, no one remembers members because he was just a steady Eddie. So they had steady Eddie at left back and that that freed Carlos Alberto at right back to bomb forward. So that just balanced out the side a little little bit. So maybe trying to look on the bright side of of this very sad injury to Daniel Alves because he won't have another chance, maybe just might help Brazil uh, clamp down on what potentially was a weak point.
0: OK, good stuff. I mean, uh, just to clarify, I was just trying to find any kind of weakness possible because I do like this Brazil team and it's interesting to see that they've had a lot of financial support too in the markets in the past 12 months. I've actually looked this morning, they've sneaked into favouritism in many places to win the World Cup mm. now, as short as 4-1. to one. Um, So what's your assessment of their chances? Do you think they will go the whole way? And if it's not Brazil, who's going to stop them?
1: Well, they're, they're certainly in the fight and up with... Um, Germany, Spain and, and France I, I, would, I would put them in, in that big four The Switzerland game intrigues me a little bit Brazil's first up it, There is the potential for disappointment there you know, The Swiss defend very well uh, And uh, Brazil In the friendly against Russia That they played They, they tested out their, their more attacking formation uh, Which is, is with Felipe Coutinho as a midfielder Not as a, as a, as a kind of uh, as, a, as a wide support striker And uh, in the first half, they were looking very vulnerable to the the counter-attack. So uh, that that formation, there's just a little question mark there, I think, against that that, that formation. It could have gone wrong uh, against Russia. Uh, One of my fears is uh, Casimiro being exposed a little bit. Good player, not necessarily the quickest. Uh, And one of the changes I think we're clearly seeing between the Brazil that qualified and the Brazil that will play the World Cup is, um, is Fernandinho going from the bench to the first team just to balance them up a little bit more in, in, in central midfield. So the, the, the Switzerland game is, is an intriguing start, and uh, they may not have it all their own way in that game. They're going to they're gonna have to show patience. And after that, I can see them getting through Costa Rica with, with no problems, and, and, and Serbia. Um, so, but let's imagine that things go wrong against Switzerland. They could en- even end up coming up against Germany early. So that would really put the put put the cat amongst the pigeons. So that that that's just a little worry that I have uh, against the sides where they have to break down. Um, can can they be exposed on the counter? Which they certainly were uh, against the Russians. They got away with it, um, but Russia had some chances there, especially toward towards the end of the first half. So it may even be worth just if if, if the money's good, just a little sneaky bet on the Swiss to do something in that first game. Um, however, I can't see Brazil not qualifying and uh, you can certainly see them going, going all the way. There, there's, there, there's no doubt about it. They are amongst the big favourites. Uh, the, the, the thing that you, you, if you're going to argue against, you would say the following. If you look at the, the recent World Cups, I'm going to say the last three World Cups, five of the six finalists have been from Western Europe. Um, the only one was you know, that, that gets away with that is Argentina on, on South American soil last time around. Um, so Western Europe is clearly where the contemporary strength is. Uh, and uh, Brazil really shone under Chichi in World Cup qualification, but against, in qualification, the the most disappointing crop of South American sides for some time. So, uh, you know, l- 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 we want to see Brazil under competitive conditions against the likes of your France and your Spain and, and, and your Germany. Um, So I I wouldn't necessarily make them right on favourites, but I certainly think they're uh, favourites to reach the semi-finals, unless it all goes wrong against Switzerland and they have an early meeting with the Germans, in which case anything could happen.
0: Let's talk about Colombia. They've been drawn into Group H, along with Poland, Senegal and Japan. This is the most wide open and interesting group, from my point of view anyway. There's no clear favourite, there's no clear minnow either. So Colombia are favourites to take top honours. Uh, They excited us all four years ago too, but the qualification period and probably the four years since that World Cup has been a little muddled and quite uninspiring. Is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely, yes. They've been consistently disappointing over the last four years. Um, Same coach. When they went uh, going into Brazil 2014, the coach there, the Argentine Peckerman, he was saying, this is the moment when Colombia take a place at football's top table. Well, step one was concluded. They reached the quarterfinals for the first time but everything that's happened afterwards has has been very disappointing And the the, the qualification campaign it's really hard to see any highlights from it uh, and, and Peckerman he used so many players he used well over 40 players which for one coach in 18 games is a lot of players and you ended up thinking well does he really know know his side um the the necessity to narrow it down to 23 I think for a world cup squad does them the power of good and the potential is there, although I don't think the potential is there to, to do any better than they did four years ago. I think quarterfinals finals is, is certainly the, uh, the ceiling. The, the potential is, is, is there, um, and I think that the, the, what happened against, against France in March, they played a, a high-risk, really high-risk friendly against France and were very quickly 2-0 down. Uh, and you're thinking then that this is an absolute disaster. But they came back to win three two, and that, that that's given them a huge, huge morale boost, uh, and uh, as as, uh, as perhaps reaffirmed to the coach that they are on they, they are on, on the right lines. So dangerous opponents, but still still muddled in terms of what the team's going to be, and you can see one or two problems there, I think as well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the usage of players because is quite a well thought of head coach. His teams often play attractive football too. So. What was the? Why was he using so many players? Why there was clearly no kind of ideology or idea about how he how he wanted his team to perform? How do you see him raising the team from this kind of malaise?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, his teams usually are characterised. by excellent midfield play. And he was the main figure who launched the career of, of, of Raquel Me with, uh, with, with Argentina, both at youth level and, and, uh, and in the 2006 World Cup. So usually his sides played very, very well through the midfield. And, and Colombia in qualification often didn't do that. Uh, sometimes they were, they were very, very direct. Now, the thing that intrigues me here about Colombia is, is uh, the centre forward, uh, Radamal Falcao garcia who missed the last World Cup through injury and and I think probably jeopardised his career trying to come back in time. Wasn't able to do that. Will be there this time and this will be his his only World Cup. So it's hugely important to to him. But playing him comes with, with certain problems because Peckerman has seen that he can't really play him up front on his own. Uh, and Falcao Garcia is a is a front to goal striker. His, his build up play isn't very good, so he he he's, he doesn't really trust or hasn't trusted Falcao Garcia to play out front on his on, on his own. So there'll be some, someone else in there with him. Now this this stretches out the team a little bit, you know, because uh, you can only pick eleven. I don't think he's going to tr- try and smuggle twelve on the field. Um, so I, I actually came to the conclusion that last time around the absence of, of, of Falcao in, in Brazil 2014, it didn't do him any harm. it it, it, it provided more of a, flat, a platform for, for James Rodriguez to really become the star. And he was the breakout star of, of that World Cup. And he will enjoy massively, I think, going, uh, going back to his national team where he is undoubtedly important. He, he is the main man. But is his style cramped a little bit with Falcón Garcia plus another striker uh, it means that James has to offer, uh, operate a little bit deeper with a, with a perhaps a, a more a, a restricted role that he that he would ha- that, than than he have if Colombia played a single striker. So th- that that's something which intrigues me. Um, it, it's a problem that they didn't have in the last World Cup because Falcao was absent through injury. Now um, can can they fire, can they get James firing on all, on all cylinders with Falcao in the team?
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. It's not an angle of, or school of thought I've, I've really sort of encountered just yet. Because I was going to say, a fit Falcao and obviously a James that's now starting to play fairly regularly for Bayern Munich too has to probably please Colombian supporters and I think there's plenty of options at centre-half uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So how are we expecting yeah. Colombia to set up tac- tactically? Do you expect them to start with the two strikers and, and James just behind? Or, or, and also, is there any sort of up-and-coming stars, obviously James... It was unbelievable in Brazil. Is there anyone else sort of waiting in the wings to try and take a, take a bit of the limelight?
1: Well, uh, perhaps not an up-and-coming star because he's, he's, he's already 25 and he went to the last World Cup and he scored a goal. But one of the most intriguing players world, in world football for me is, is uh, Juan Fernando Quintero, uh, who a little left-footed attacking midfielder, who is just a wonderful finder of, of a pass. He's, 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 he's fantastic at, at, at finding his passes. After the last World Cup, he's, he's, he's hamming his back up, really. And after the last World Cup, he kind of lost interest, put on a lot of weight, and there was all this talk he was going to give up football for music. Um, the prospect of playing in another World Cup seems to have got the best out of him. He's on loan at River Plate in Argentina, which is the ideal club for a player of his characteristics. And he's suddenly firing again. And uh, it was he, he came off the bench. It was his first, first international for, for nearly three years. He came off the bench in that game against France. Only for the last 10 minutes, but he, he sure made his mark, and he initiated the move that ended up with the, with the penalty that won the game, and then he took the penalty, you know, just to say I'm here. The, so and he's one to look out for, although it's it's very hard to see how how he can be um, put into the same team as uh, as is but maybe an, op- an option from the bench. Uh, it 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 would seem that the most likely formation is is some kind of 4-3-3, with Falcon uh, through the middle, another striker wide and is starting off wide on the other flank but with a little bit more freedom to, uh, to, to roam. That's looking like, uh, lo- like the most likely formation. Um, whether it's going to work at the top level, uh, I, I, I still have a few doubts. Um, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, my fear is for Colombia that they might get stretched out a little bit. But they do have defensive pace. Uh, and uh, the, the pair, oh, Davinson Sanchez has, has come through a pretty good year. Played more than I think people expected him to, with the, the injury to Alvaro at, at, at Tottenham. Uh, he's quick, and and Yeri, Yeri Mina of Barcelona. He hasn't had a lot of game time there, but he's giant and he's quick as well. So uh, Colombia should be able to, to to play a high line and and, and keep more compact. The vital vital man in the, in the team is Carlos Sanchez of Aston Villa. Not a glamorous player at club level, but a vital player, really does balance out the side and is an excellent man marker. So I think he, he, will, he will be a key player uh, in terms of, of, of balancing, balancing out, out of the team. So I think plenty will depend on Carlos Sanchez.
0: OK, so if we are going to try and pick out some negatives or some weaknesses in this team, is there an over-reliance on James? And if so, or if not, uh, where else might Colombia encounter a few problems?
1: Well, the big, huge problem in in recent months has been the goalkeeper. And Colombia only have one top class goalkeeper or spinner. Uh, And and towards the end of qualification, and he was just inventing new and more bizarre ways of throwing the ball into his own net. (laughs) And real, unbelievable errors. I mean, the, the goal that he conceded against Peru, he managed to concede a goal from an indirect free kick. You know, you just let it go in and it's a goal. And You know, it's no goal. But he tried to make the save and he got a touch. You know, and that, that, that qualified Peru. That's another little bit of fortune that, that, that Peru had. That, that, that got Peru through to the playoff, that, uh, that, that goal. Um, and and he, he dropped another brick in a recent game against France, but they haven't got anyone else. So on, Ospina's lack of activity at, at Arsenal is, is, a, is, is, a, is, a, is a worry, is, is a question mark. And, and another question mark, I think, is, um, and it, it's a strange question mark for a Peckham side. but it is the midfield. Uh, are they going to be able to pass the ball through the midfield in the way that you, you would traditionally expect from, from Columbia sides? Or are they going to continually give it away and put themselves under pressure?
0: OK, so what's your assessment of their chances? I mean, can they justify their odds as, as Group H favourites? Um, let me just get the odds for you Colombia eight to five to win the group Poland 's two to one senegal fifty one to ten Japan eight to one or best price. Colombia seven to fifteen to qualify So around the one to two mark here and if they do get the, get through the group they 're likely to meet either England or Belgium in the next round so what 's your sort of glass ceiling on this colombian team
1: quarter final i, I can 't see them getting getting beyond quarter final, and perhaps the, the, the odds uh, don 't look great on them. Um, winning the group, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd take that one, I'm not seeing, at the moment, I'm not seeing sufficient solidity there, uh, Colombia for me is, is still more potential going into this World Cup than, than achievements so far, I would love to be proved wrong because I think of the Colombian sides, of, of the South American sides that haven't won the World Cup, Colombia is, is by far the one most likely to do so. Uh, in in the future and it's a it's a a big population it's it's lots of urban centers it's a football crazy nation as well and it has a tradition for 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 well-played football and they've got a pretty good side but I can't see them doing better than they they did in Brazil Quarter final for me is the limit
0: and whilst you're just there just because the likelihood of Colombia playing England is is reasonably strong here how would you see that match panning out do you think Colombia have the tools to take England out
1: well, i think if 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 they really fire with a little bit of luck they on their day they can be anyone and as they showed coming from 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 two goals down against france so it, it was a very open was a very open um, French side a little bit when they they played a recent friendly in uh, in in South Korea and they really struggled with the pace of uh, of, of Son of, of 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 tottenham um they, they were they were stretched out and they were open and and Korea were able to to, to run through them. And Carlos Sanchez didn't play the first half of that game, and he, he, he was uh, it was a, it was a game that really showed showed uh, his, his his importance. Um, so I'm still looking at them and, and, and finding something of a mystery to them. I think on their day they, they on their day that they can they can beat almost anyone in this World Cup, but also they're, they are capable of losing to any three of their group opponents.